Right now, Bet365 are offering a wide range of markets, including first, last, or anytime goal scorers. With over 45 million members, it's the world's favourite online betting company. We've got wall-to-wall Premier League football with games being played nearly every day. And with Bet365 Bet Builder, you can combine match results, players to score, number of goals, and more to create your own personalised bet. And if you can't watch the games live with Bet365's Match Live feature, you can follow every moment through live graphics and text. Bet365 is the world's favourite online sport betting company. The app can be downloaded from Google Play and Apple App Store. Over 18s only, please gamble responsibly. Well, City are out of the FA Cup and that means their domestic season is over with hopes of further silverware resting now on the Champions League. But what issues does Pep Guardiola need to address if he's going to be successful in Lisbon? I'm David Mooney and you're listening to this week's Why Always Us, your Manchester City podcast from The Athletic. I'm joined by Sam Lee. Hello. How are you doing, Sam, after that that trip down to Wembley? Uh, I don't even know anymore. (laughs) Uh, I mean, we have got something new to talk about due to Guardiola's assessment of the game. But uh, I, t- I just don't, I just don't even know what to expect. I mean, I'll let you lead on with the questions, but help. Hopefully, your questions can point me in some sort of direction. But I've, I've, I'm trying to not cover too much old ground. But there, there is some new stuff. But uh, God, hopefully, just... we can dig through something and, and work out something new. Yeah. Um, well, like the Premier League football is back underway, and right now we're offering a 30-day free trial to the Athletic for a limited time only. Go to theathletic.com forward slash Man City Pod and sign up, and you can enjoy the best football writing anywhere. Just as the Premier League reaches its conclusion, that 30-day free trial will see you through to the end of the season. Now, uh, as we've touched on there already, Sam, um, how much of this of this result in the FA Cup was was down to Arsenal playing well, and how much of it was the same old problems for City this season? Yeah, God, where to start even with that question? <laughs> um, so it was the same old problems in a certain way, but not in the way that, well, certainly I've been talking about recently, but City generally, you know, we've been talking about problems recently. Um, you know, when I talked about their lack of a clinical edge recently, that was, you know, in a third of their league games, they dropped points. That's 12, if you're doing the maths quickly. Um in, in in nine, in, I think in nine of those, uh, in terms of like XG, they've they've outscored them. But in in a lot of those games, like, you know, the Southampton game recently, obviously, but both Spurs games, um, in all of the two all draws, you know, City definitely did enough to to win, but didn't actually put the ball in the back of the net. But this game against Arsenal was the same old problems in a different way, in the sense it was like, you know, the defeats to. To Man United, the defeat to Wolves, and to a lesser extent the Norwich game. I know City did create a lot in the end of that Norwich game, but you couldn't say on the end, you know, Norwich. You couldn't say Norwich didn't deserve to win, and it was the no, same with was, Arsenal yesterday. But it was the, the chances that City created at Carrow Road. It was very much after the horse had bolted. It like the, the game had gone by that stage. Yeah, and also to be fair, at least at least they were creating some. You know, City had a bit at the start. Um, you know, they they won the ball back in the Arsenal box. Um, they had that Sterling chance where it was cut back to him and he dragged it wide of the post. Then the one where the corner kind of hit him like two yards out and didn't go in. And that's when I was like, right, forget it. Because <laughs> we know what's going to happen here. It's, it's so, a yeah. movie that we've seen, what, nine or ten times I already know, this season. Exactly. So, I mean, in that sense, in that sense, it was very familiar. But more worryingly, it wasn't even, you know, one of those where they're creating loads of chances and not putting them in. It was like they didn't even play well. So to go back to the other interesting part of the question, like I was I was watching the game thinking, well, Arsenal were really good here. Like, 
Guardiola described what they did. I mean, obviously people could see it, but Guardiola described what they did as, and in fact, he said they knew what to expect. He was like, we knew they would press high and defend with five because they did it against Liverpool. Um, but they couldn't, you know, City couldn't actually do anything about that. And when you think about that, pressing high, and it, they actually, you know, for for a while, you know, they had Lacazette standing on on Gundogan, so that City's defenders couldn't get the ball into midfield. So you know that's going to be a problem for them. Usually, they they welcome being pressed, but not if it's actually done with proper organisation. If it stops them playing out from the back, then that that hampers City. Um, it's not like that's a big problem they've got, but it's just it's just harder to do. And then by the time they do get up front, and there's you know five at the back, and obviously in the last, well, I wouldn't even say it was the last twenty minutes. It was basically the whole second half, wasn't it? <laughs> Arsenal did just defend then, and they invited those crosses. So it was kind of like a kryptonite performance from Arsenal in terms of what City don't even like. It wasn't even you know like when Southampton came to the Etihad and other teams have actually got a point and or more and defended deep. You know, Arsenal actually had the 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 pressing in the organisation to stop them getting on the ball. Like, I know people aren't a big fan of Gundogan, but I think you'd have to admit that the play goes through him. When he plays in that role, that's the whole point of the defensive midfielder. You know, they get the ball off and they set the tempo from there, but he, he couldn't even couldn't even get hold of it. You know, David Silva couldn't even get hold of it. They made it really difficult for them. So I was thinking, I'd have been quite happy to say, well, I, I'd put that a lot down to Arsenal being really good. But obviously, quite... Guardiola afterwards, in fairness, most people listening to this said, you know, City lacked the tempo and lacked the rhythm and all, and all of this kind of stuff. I would put that down to Arsenal being really good. But, you know, Guardiola was saying um, City just didn't show up. You know, they weren't there. You know, he always says you have to be there. You know, And, and they weren't we, there. We know after four years that, you know, he means they need to be doing all the things they normally do. The tempo and the rhythm and all of that, he said. He was using, like, normal... English managerial phrases that you'd hear from any old any old manager, you know, like sloppy and stuff like that. It was like we didn't have the right rhythm. Um, but Gund- why? I mean, Gund- what- said it as well. So it's like, well, this are you gone? Go well, I was just saying, what? How, how did it get to that though? Because he spent the last what, six weeks since football's restart. I don't, I don't know if it's been six weeks or not. I just plucked that number out of the air. But yeah. he spent since since football's restart rotating his squad very heavily with the idea that that this was the first important game that he had. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously there was a Newcastle one there and they, they passed through that. But yeah, like the whole point of it has been, okay, well, there's a league game, but we'll just rotate five or six players, play like in some of those games, like effectively like a Carabao Cup kind of team, um, just because the whole logic was, well, the FA Cup is the most important and then obviously the Champions League is, but the FA Cup is is like mixed, mixed in with the, with the Premier League. So yeah, that was the, everything was geared towards that. And I'm sure, you know, I'm sure before Madrid, they'd have been thinking, well, we're going to have an FA Cup final the week before as well, and that'll help us get our eye in. Uh, and I mean, I, I don't mean to suggest complacency there, but I'm sure some people might suggest that. Uh, I don't think so. But yeah, to, that's, you know, you're you're asking me that question, but that's the kind of question I'm posing as well. My article that I've written on the game, part of it is you know, to address that mentality thing Guardiola said. And he said it wasn't about tactics, it was about mentality. Um, he said that before the game. He said it wouldn't be about tactics. Um, it would be about mentality. But then he said it afterwards, and it's like the mental approach wasn't right. And again, you all, like everyone listening to this knows Guardiola. He's not going to criticise the players. And the amount of bad performances, or you know, relatively bad performances that City have had this season. Uh, and he said, no, they're really good. One of the best performances we've had. Or, you know, like when, when, they, beat, <laughs> when they lost to Southampton, even recently... Was it Newcastle the next game? They won five nil. He was yeah. like, we played better because we played better against Southampton. We did against this and that kind of stuff. Like sometimes I believe him genuinely, and sometimes I'm like, no, he's just protecting the players and all of that. But for, you know, to suggest that they were bad, to actually say they were bad, they played badly. Um, 
and, and to suggest the mentality was off and kind of leave that door open for people to, to criticize that and jump on that. Um, that's, that's very rare. And you, you could tell how angry he was with it. And yeah, like obviously they want to win the FA Cup because look how seriously they always, they always take it. Um, this is what I mean at the start when I was talking at the start about a new element of what to analyze because we can talk about you know the the creating chances and not putting them away and you know we might talk about giving away goals or you know at least the way that City conceded the two goals against Arsenal but um kind of the new element is that really like Guardiola even said before the game it would be a mental test to see how how ready they are to play Madrid and like if you set a team up like that and then fail to do it. And then he doesn't even say, oh, no, we were good. We deserve to win. He actually says, you know, effectively, we deserve to lose. The mentality wasn't right. Oh, and by the way, it's Madrid in three weeks, and he doesn't take a genius to work out. We need to be better. That's kind of... That's a, like, that's a massive kick up the backside that he's that, like he'd never yeah, normally well, does in public. That's the thing. I don't know, maybe, maybe it is designed that way. Uh, and, and again, like if, you, if he's done that in public, you can imagine what it was like in private. Um it's it's like it's so difficult because before the game as well he was saying semi-finals they're not about the tactic it's more about the the minor details you know concentration being switched on at corners throw-ins uh, all of these all of these different things but in the end he said well he said they that all the details were right the little things but it was the bigger things that didn't and how often you know how often do you do you expect that or do you get that from a city team that the fund like <laughs> he I'm not saying got complacent because it's not complacent because after four years you would expect this team to play, you know, so so he was thinking, well, they're going to go and play. It just depends on whether, you know, the ball hits the inside of the post or the outside or that kind of thing. What he wasn't expecting was that they weren't even, to use his phrase, they weren't even there, you know, they yeah. they, they, they weren't doing all, all the fundamentals. They weren't able to play out from the back. They didn't have the right tempo. They didn't really have the right application. And that, that I mean, that is a worry for the Real Madrid game. And like the other side of it, like the whole, and this is why it's difficult with the whole season, like obviously they went to the Bernabeu, and this is always in the back of my mind. It's not even in the back of my mind. It's in the front of my mind when we talk about these issues, relative issues, though they are. They've had these all season, but they still went to the Bernabeu with one, and that makes me think they can win the Champions League. But since the restart, it's been like, oh, I wonder if they've got rid of those issues, and you know, like David Silva will be back refreshed, and Bernardo Silva will be back refreshed, and Christ, we can talk about Bernardo in a bit if you like. Um, and obviously they've been so good, but those issues, they're still there. You know, everything the City were before the restart. They still are. Every, the every time, every time it feels like, yeah, every time it feels like one of those, those issues have been solved, another performance like this one comes along. Yeah, and well, it's, the, it's the Chelsea like, one was a bit of an alarm bell, wasn't it? Yeah, because, and this is why it's so difficult because the Chelsea one is like, well, they, in fact, Chelsea, they weren't even particularly good, were they? Now, Chelsea wasn't one of those where they created a load of chances. Now, obviously, they could have, they, they they could have been winning. Well, I can't even remember who it was. It was Sterling who missed that missed that chance, hit the post when he could yeah. have squared to Jesus. Um, but yeah, that was a bit of an alarm bell. And then like the Southampton one was like, yeah, they, were, they it doesn't really matter because they were really good and they did create a load of chances. But then it's like, but that always happens. <laughs> and like, this is what I mean now. It's like the closer you get to Real Madrid, the less likely. I mean, they still might. They, I, I'm not ever going to write them off because they could still win the Champions League. But the closer we get now, the, the less likely it is that it's just going to click into place and they're going to well, be clinical and they're going to be solid at the back. I still think they can. But it does get less likely, and now he's added this mentality thing on top. It it's like it's I'm not start to worry, but you do start to think. Well, you know, Arsenal won two 0 yesterday. Real Madrid, if they win two 0 then that's it done. My my concern with it all is not necessarily the Real Madrid game because, like we've seen already this season, City are, are very good in one off performances. It's the idea that. You know that one of these games comes along every every few weeks. Well, that could happen in the it could happen in the in the 
so in the next game, in the game after Real Madrid or, or whatever, they've yeah, got, yeah, they've exactly. got, it's got to happen got on a consistent minutes basis. against Juve yeah. or whoever, then it's just, yeah, if, like they need to eliminate this against, and like the other, the other element is, well, Arsenal were really good. Like there's, there's nothing like, you can't paint it any, any other way. Arsenal were really good. But if one of the excuses is that, well, the other team was really good and really organised, then like, it's not going to go very well in the Champions League, is it? Oh, no. Playing. And especially the half of the draw that City have got with the potential opponents they've got. And like people were like, oh, yeah, what if they have to play Juve and then Barcelona or whatever? Never mind Juve. Like, Leon were really good against City last year when City were better. <laughs> like, yeah. if, if Leon are anywhere near that standard, obviously they haven't played a lot and they're, they're doing friendlies now and they will have the, the league. Uh, the French League fi- the Cup final against PSG to come before that, but like if if Lyon are in any kind of state, then that would be a problem for City. If if City are in this this kind of situation they're in now, it's like it. Like, yeah, like I say, I suppose worrying is maybe not the the right word, but I, may, I suppose well, I'm sure there'll be plenty of people listening to this who are worried. I suppose because it's it, it's definitely easy to get a bit carried away negatively after a game like that, but. You know, earlier on, like Southampton game, like I say, you could say, well, they were the better team, loads of chances, it doesn't matter so much. But yeah, every one of these they have, it does worry. And yeah, they, they would then need, if there's a week where they play Juve um, and then Bayern Munich, you need those games to be perfect. And then look, fair enough, they would be in the final. <laughs> they would be in the final if it goes well. But then <laughs> it's it's almost like, they're going into a game they'd probably be expected to win no matter who they're playing on that side of the draw. And like going into that, God, if we're doing a preview about the Champions League final, obviously that would be amazing for the club. That would be an amazing thing. But like whoever they're playing on that side of the draw, you'd be like, oh, like if it's Atletico Madrid, that'd be really like, that'd be a real worry. If it's PSG, then you'd be worried because obviously PSG would be in the final. So you'd be worried about their quality and Mbappe and whatever. Um, if it, even if it's Atalantica, well, they beat him in the group stage, like really comfortably actually. But again, if any team that gets to that final, you'll be thinking, Anything could happen here, and that's that's kind of the vibe I've got about City. I, I don't, I don't know which City we're going to get, and it was quite unusual actually the way they played against Bournemouth. In terms, well, of they didn't actually play well, but they won. I, I was going to say it's kind of like the reverse of the entire season. Um, but the, the the weird thing is, I've I've, I've run the numbers for the, for Guardiola's era uh, because as soon as Arsenal scored, I I feared the worst because City. Yeah, I, I, I felt I, I felt all season that City don't really come back when they've had a setback this year. Um, so for this season, when they've when City have conceded the first goal, they've lost ten times, won six, and drawn once out of seventeen times that it's happened. Um, they've not even got close to the record of, of the two of the two seasons where Guardiola has absolutely battered the uh, the league in those years. Uh, last season, it was uh, they only they only fell behind nine times. They conceded the first goal nine times. Of those, they won four of them and they lost three of them. Uh, the year before that, the uh, the Centurion season, the uh, they won six and lost four. And he, even in his first season, they had a better record. They won four and lost eight. Uh, lost eight. So like it's it just they they this season they concede the first goal and that's it. It's game over. You know, I'm I'm actually surprised, and th- and this goes to show the problem with like thinking emotionally. Like, certainly, as a journalist, as a fan, you can be a fan however you want. But this probably goes to show the the problem with going with your gut feel because I wouldn't have even guessed that they'd won that many from going behind. I know they have a couple of times this season, but did you say it was six? I couldn't. It's name one, it yeah, six. it's one one six out of out of seventeen where they've uh, conceded the first. Yeah, but like I say, I'm, I'm like just instinctively, I feel that's that's more than I would have expected. But I w- well, I suppose I was going to say I wouldn't have expected them to have gone down seventeen times, but they obviously have because they've dropped points <laughs> and like lost. In cups, is obviously now with Arsenal so many times compared to normal. Um, yeah, well, that's the other thing. If we're talking about the mentality, and this is a huge topic, 
and I'm not, I haven't really got my feelings clear on this, but the feeling, yeah, I, the feeling I got was it's just not going to happen. And there is a feeling I get with Guardiola, not really with his subs, because I thought the subs were okay yesterday, because like Gundogan wasn't having a great game, partly because, you know, he was kind of played out of it. And Mahrez wasn't having a great game. And, you know, bring Roger on, fine. You need someone to use the ball really well. And Fernandinho has been a bit rusty. And obviously you bring Foden on because you just would. Um, but it, it does seem like there's definitely a stage, I think, where Guardiola's like, well, it's, it is up to the players now. Like, there's nothing else he, he, he can do. And I'm not sure if that's justified or not. I think well, it I, probably I, is. I want to get into this thing with his subs because I'm not 100% convinced that he's very good at, yeah, at changing the game from the bench. And I just wonder if if part of the problem is, is that it's mainly like for like. You know, without Sane there, there's not really much of a, a of a change that that bring. You know, swap Bernardo and Mares. What what's the difference really? Yeah, yeah um, I know it's it's one of the big topics around City that I want to look into and explain because it's like the crossing, which we'll probably get to. But a lot of people ask me about the crossing, and I wrote about it in November, so I'll just post the same link because it's so relevant. And it's it's the same thing with the subs. I'm not actually sure what it is, and I'm kind of. Not scared, but you know, when you speak to people around Guardiola, the only time it ever occurs to me to ask is like days like this. And you just think, if you say, why doesn't he make the subs out there? Just bite your head off, go. <laughs> but um, it's I'm, it's definitely something I am going to do. I mean, I, th- I mean, yesterday was, yeah, it was like for like, but I mean, that said, the people like us basically who criticize him for not making changes, he made a change at half time. Like, and it was just a tempo that was better, but you know, Walker's position changed. People didn't like De Bruyne playing wide, but that. That was a change that was made. So, like, it, it's not always substitutions. You know how versatile the players are. So, first of all, I would say it's not always. You don't always need substitutions to turn into game. Obviously, that is the you know that is the established way of doing it. But he's got so many different ways of changing it. People didn't like De Bruyne playing wide, but I mean, my answer before I'd seen his excuse was, well, they're obviously putting crosses in, like rightly or wrongly, they were obviously putting crosses in. So you might as well get De Bruyne to do it, and then. I think his his official answer was yeah that, but also they, uh, Mares and then Foden. He goes they were better in small spaces, you know, picking through a load of bodies in the inside. And it's like well, it does make sense, but I suppose you would question the logic of putting crosses in. We get we are going to have to get to that. Well, let's. Um, I was going to say let, let let's kind of look at that because like we will go back to subs though because I know yeah. people have a lot of points about this and I'll try and cover what people may be thinking because part part of the problem with the crosses is that well City haven't got anybody that really wins the ball in the air. And you know, on, on on top of that, the the only space for them around Arsenal's back four was on the flanks. So naturally, it goes wide, and then somebody tries to get it into the box. Yeah, exactly. Um, but like, I think teams will know that, and they will welcome that. And Arteta more than anybody will know that. So I, I wrote that piece about why they do it, and it's you know, it's not just like people are they're just putting aimless balls into all small players, and yes, they are. Um, but like the logic is, if it gets cleared or if there's a deflection, then the loose ball will fall to someone and they can put it in. And that did actually work against Southampton, which is the game I wrote it after. But I did say, okay, well, it worked against Southampton, but it doesn't generally. Um, and again, this is in my article that I wrote from the Arsenal game. And I would have mentioned it before in that Southampton one. But I think I looked I think something like 17 times this season, they put more than 20 crosses from open play into the box. And they've only won three of them. Like it's not a tactic. <laughs> it's not a tactic that works. And in like in like the top ten, it because I was looking down the list and it wasn't even just so that one of the games was West Ham at home, 
which like that was just before the lockdown, wasn't it? It was that rearranged one from the Storm. And I remember they were all right. I don't remember the game brilliantly. I remember the goals. I remember the chances that Jesus missed. And, you know, they, they, were, they were cutting through them better. They weren't relying on crosses. So you can all, I'm not saying discount that one, but it wasn't like a typical example of the crosses, but all the other ones. So Southampton was the one at the top, which obviously they won. They did get the benefit of that. But the rest were like Norwich away, Wolves at home, Wolves away, Crystal Palace Spurs, at home must Spurs have been at home, Crystal Palace at home, and Newcastle away. And it was like, basically, if you just list off the time City have dropped points this season, they were all there. And it, does, like, it doesn't work. It doesn't actually work. Like, I know the logic, but it doesn't work. And I remember Jack Gorn saying this at the time. Um, it's like, if you're going to play for second balls, and any people on the edge of the box are like, trying to attack the second balls, but the balls go into the box and they just get cleared and like, there's nobody there. Like, because he's done this since he was a Bayern. So this is this is the logic. It was in the Marty Perrinal books. I've checked with people with him. This is why they do it. But it's not actually successful. And you go back to teams that would probably welcome giving them the space on the wings and putting the balls in the box. Arteta, one hundred percent will. I mean, Arsenal haven't exactly got that classic um, like brick wall defense that you can't get around or over. But they were like David Luiz certainly playing like he did. They were very comfortable with it. Um, and yeah, like the, the crossing thing. Like uh, with the opponents they're playing, maybe maybe Juve will end up letting them do that. But like, can you imagine? Like, if they is it Atletico Madrid they can get in the final? Yeah, it is, isn't it? They could. I mean, if they get to the final, but that could just be the absolute classic. It, it could, it could be the the Bayern semi final against Atletico Madrid when Pep was there and they missed penalties and had like thirty six shots on goal or whatever, but didn't win, didn't go through. Like, it could just be that, but, and there could be like. 80 crosses or something like that David Moyes number when you know it's <laughs> Fulham like, it, it could be that many um, because obviously they do it when they can't create chances in the normal way and that is that is the plan B so people who say he hasn't got a plan B that's wrong there is a plan B um, but it's shit but, yeah, I was going to say <laughs> plan B clearly doesn't work though so as soon as you're making him do plan B in that sense then it's kind of like well you know they're going to have to get a bit lucky yeah, so and so, so the subs. Like I've I've thought about this before. I don't think yesterday was that bad, but like if you remember Anfield, Anfield away, like the game was gone, wasn't it? Like it was. I remember being three 0 and I think Bernardo got one back. But I just I just remember like the game was gone effectively. Guardiola didn't make. I couldn't tell you the subs he made off the top of my head, but it was one of those games where people were like, "What? What's he doing?" My theory on it, and I'm not to check this out with anyone, but my theory on it is, at that stage of the game even though it was like 3-0 or 3-1 as, as the game went on, Liverpool weren't countering that much. They didn't have any, Liverpool didn't have any more chances. And this is the madness of it, I would think, if you listen to this tearing your hair out. But like I say, it's only my theory. But Liverpool weren't having more chances. So I think Guardiola was quite happy with the pattern of the game and in terms of how his team was set up. You know, they were dominating possession. They weren't creating chances, but they were kind you know, they were, it was a bit like the Arsenal the end of the against Arsenal yesterday, really. They were they were there in the second half. They had the ball. They weren't conceding any counter-attacks. And if they had have created a chance out of something, they would have. And I think that's why Guardiola didn't make subs in that particular game. And I well, think he, that's made, he, he made one make... change. He, he took Aguero off for, for Jesus on 71 minutes. And that's it. Jesus Christ. He left Mares on the bench. Uh, he left Foden on the bench. He left Silver yeah. on the bench. Yeah. Um, well, there you go. I, I do think he was happy with how things were going. And it was just like, well, we just need something to... But even that, I mean, even that theory kind of falls down because if you want to keep it like for like... I mean, I don't think he'd have played Foden at that point because I think he would have got... I think he probably thought Foden would make a mistake and they would counter or something. He's obviously not played... But was Silver just not 
exactly fit at that point. But he's obviously not played David Silver in many of those big games since December. I know he was injured over Christmas time, but since he came back, he didn't play in any of the big games, David Silver, um, because of like you know reduced physical capacity or whatever. But maybe he was thinking that at the time. But generally, I think he's happy with how the game is going because you know he always says they always played really well. Well, with personality, they created chances and and they were there. And I don't think he likes to change it too much in case that rhythm is disrupted. Or, you know, either somebody comes on who he doesn't trust. Like, I'm not... I mean, he plays Mahrez a lot. and Maybe this is a ridiculous shout. I'm not convinced he would trust Mahrez at Anfield. I know I know, he missed the penalty. But I think in that situation, if I'm right, that he's happy with how the game's going and nobody's losing balls in stupid areas and giving away counterattacks, which is like where Wolves had scored from like three weeks earlier, you know, when City lost the ball on the edge of the Wolves box, but twice they counted. Yeah. I don't think he wanted that. And I'm thinking he may have thought that Mahrez would do that. So I think it's stuff like that. I think he's happy with the flow of the game. And you can tell that, like I said, afterwards, like I said earlier on, after the game, when City haven't won, he will say, oh yeah, it was a really good performance. And like I said, I genuinely do believe him. So I think he doesn't make the subs because but he's happy with how it's going. And he can just, huge... he'll just make a couple, like for like, in case something changes. But I was going to say, there's a huge cognitive dissidence there where surely he must be able to see that that it feels like like the team could play all night and never score. Yeah. Um, again, this this might be that element of... I got the feeling yesterday, like with 20 minutes to go, he just... Maybe like before that, I can't remember. God, it was, it's, it's fine having the excuse about not remembering games in November, but yesterday, <laughs> a bit of a stretch. I, I, do get the, I did get the feeling yesterday, rightly or wrongly, that he, he just thought... Like it looked like he'd given up, and I do think it, it gets to the stage where maybe he hasn't given up, but he does think, well, there is nothing else I can do to affect this game. This is the pattern of the game now. This is all we've got. You know, we've got all our best passers and footballers on the pitch. Again, we'll come to Bernardo. I don't know what's going on. Um, we're putting balls in the box. We're hoping for the second balls. We just need to wait. We we need to wait and see what happened. I suppose the fact that. I don't see yesterday as like a similar substitution issue as before because if he put Fernandinho up front, then he was at least trying something. Like, Try, yeah, yeah, it's something new, isn't it? Yeah. He was trying something. And again, I've, I've asked, I'm waiting for a reply. I'm not sure I'll get it. Um, but I, I would, I, I think, I think that's um, for his aggression. And, you but, know, just if there's a loose ball and there's a header to be won, then you might as well put Fernandinho up there. Harry's sponsors Why Always Us, a podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Harry's was founded by Jeff and Andy, two ordinary guys who were sick and tired of overpriced razors. Their amazing quality blades are now almost half the price of the leading five-blade brand. Harry's trial set includes everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. And Sam, I suppose after after lockdown, that's that's exactly what you need, is it? Yeah, I've still not plucked up the courage to go and get my hair cut, but at least, at least I can keep myself looking relatively <laughs> presentable, yeah, so... Yeah. How's, the, how's the beard looking? Have Small you, mercies. Have you, have you grown no, a it's fine. Bit? No, I don't know why people have. Like, you, you can still shave at home. I, I, well, I mean, it, it's it's a time for experimenting, isn't it? It's almost like, well, if I get long hair and a long beard, then we'll see how it looks. But um, <laughs> I, I couldn't bring myself to do that. It's it's one or the other. Exactly. Um, well, as a listener, you can start shaving with Harry's today by claiming your trial set for £3.95. Support our podcast and get your set delivered to you, including a razor handle, five-blade cartridge, foaming shave gel, and travel blade cover by going to harrys.com forward slash why always us right now. That's harrys.com forward slash why always us. 
the old fashioned way was to you'd send a centre forward forward and, and uh, a centre back forward and just make sure like you were winning balls in the air. And like if, yeah. if City were going to swing it into the box as much as they were doing, why not stick Laporte up there? Why not bring Otamendi on and stick him up well, there? Just someone I to thought, win the headers. When he came on, and given like Laporte was basically playing as a number eight, but that's because everyone was ahead of him. Like, but that's, he was camped on the edge of their box, a bit like Otamendi at Huddersfield in the hundred point season. If anyone remembers that, when Otamendi was like good and reliable. Um, but Laporte, yeah, so Laporte was playing. And I thought when Fernandinho came on, I was like, I wonder if he's going to play Fernandinho where Laporte is, like in defence, which doesn't really make sense. And obviously he didn't. But put Laporte further forward. And I didn't think in the box as a target man, but I did think a bit further forward, kind of doing what David Silva would do, you know, get the ball into feet and pass it quickly and that kind of stuff. I, I thought that might have been the case, but no, he just went, you know, straight up with, with Fernandinho straight up there. Which is something. Like at least he tried something. <laughs> and again, it's it's lo- like at least that was logical in the sense if you're gonna put the crosses in, then get somebody who tries you know, who's good in the air or you know, will will get to a second ball before anyone else. That that's two of the things that Fernandinho is excellent at. I one I mean, something else that, that I kind of want to tap into a little bit with the crossing is that it, it's not necessarily that that the crosses aren't to anybody. It's that it's the same type of cross every single time. It's floated into the box where City don't really have a chance of winning it. Where you think of the classic goals that City score, they get to the byline and drive it into the middle. Yeah, well, that's you, the point. They can't get there. So. Yeah. So, so like, how do they? How do they open up that space again? It's by luring out the. You you need the, you need more of that combination. You need those kind of triangles, particularly on the left. You need somebody to keep the width on the left which obviously Mendy was doing. Um, and then you need David Silva to kind of bounce a ball off and somebody to make the run in behind. But this is the issue City have had this year. Like they've Not so much yesterday, because Mendy was there to at least provide the width, but they haven't always had a left-back who can do that or is particularly good at putting the ball... Not so much the crosses, we're not even talking about the crosses now, but just good enough on the ball to, to get it in to David Silva's feet quickly enough or whatever. They've just had problems at left-back. Um, but... Like it, I've looked at this obviously because I've written about City's trademark goal, but so they would do it when when the ball goes square from the left back to David Silva, for example, or even backwards. You know that is a cue, that is a trigger, a famous trigger for all football clubs is to push out. You know if they've gone square, they get get up to the edge of the box. So obviously while they're going that way, City know that, and they'll just once they play the ball in behind Sterling or Sane, whoever is running towards goal as the other team are coming out. So all of a sudden. They're pretty much they're um, in they're, behind. Yeah, exactly. They're in behind and they they square it and that's it. But teams have kind of worked out to an extent. So they're not coming they're not pushing up. I've I've looked at this quite a bit, and they're not pushing up when the ball goes square because they know it's what City are gonna do. But also there's like an extra there's just been an extra man in there. So I've looked at the Palace and the Wolves games in particular, and there's just always somebody there. So if David Silva goes to play the pass, there's an extra midfielder in there, but they've already got five at the back anyway. So there'll be an extra midfielder standing in the line of the pass, and one like the third centre back. Like the right-sided centre back, we'll still have the fullback outside him, but he'll be kind of blocking off the the run from Sterling, who's been this season. So that that's that's why it's kind of that's why it's not happening. Um, and they're just packing up the middle, so you can get the ball out wide. But at the end of the day, it's it it's all you're going to get is a floated cross, or they might be closer to the byline, but they're not. They haven't actually got in behind. They're just still around the outside, and then they stand the ball up, or they can drill it across, but. You, if there's still loads of people in the box and you're not in behind, it's not the same if you're drinking yeah, it across. It's, it's, it's not it's a passing block goal, is it? Yeah, yeah exactly. 
So I, I think like to wait, the way to move this on then is is to kind of ask how fixable are these problems for City? Is it is it just simply a case of making the right transfers in the summer? Is it you know one or wow. two key signings, or does it hinge on on like so many fundamental problems? Maybe last summer not being addressed, like with the defense. Well, yeah, but I mean it's a bit of a combination of the two. So I mean the article I was going to write, but I think this can wait for another day. The article I was going to write was going to be about transfers. Because, like, I think this is kind of consistent with my thinking all season, especially recently. I, I always say that no matter how much we talk about City's issues, they are relative and they're still a really good side. They just need a couple of tweaks. But, I mean, I've heard a crazy figure that City are willing to spend this summer. How much, um, can you say? Yeah, sod it, why not? Uh, 300 million, maybe. Like, obviously, that would include player sales as well. And I don't know. And obviously, they've got quite a bit for Sane already. I don't know if that's going to include like Gabriel Jesus, for example, who might get the similar to Sane or more. I don't know if that does. But that is the, that's the kind of like that's, that's the kind that's of that's the surgery that's being done. Yeah, but and it's like so. I mean, we can have a proper conversation about this because my issue here, and I'm I'm not one of these people who bangs the drum about city spending. Obviously, I had a bit of a complaint on Twitter about the false numbers doing the rounds about the spending on the defense. I mean, it's not. It's not it's not an insignificant amount, but you know, don't don't pump it up more than it needs to be. But I've been saying all season they have still got the deepest squad in Europe, and like, okay, there there might be some some areas that definitely need addressing. There are definitely areas that need addressing, and also some of this money, if they do spend three hundred, they might not. But if they do spend the three hundred, or they got the intention to. If they do, then it's going to be like, well, they were going to spend this money on a on a centre back last summer, so that's kind of you know you can make room in the books for that because they didn't spend it last year. And it's a bit like when they didn't get Jorginho the year before. You know, they effectively just, they, they just rolled most of that money over towards Rodri. You know, so there is an element of well, there is money there anyway from last year, and they've obviously got money to spend now. Um, but like, who who would have thought at this stage in the city project and how good the team is already that? The probable solution is well, three hundred million in the transfer market. And look, it might not be three hundred million in the end; they might not get there. But two hundred million, like even two hundred million in the transfer market, would be one of the biggest like group outlays. I know there's net spend; it will depend on that. But yeah. that's you know that is like a headline figure that will people will latch onto. And you know, it does. I know people, city fans, are probably beyond the point of caring what people say now because people are just carrying on with what they think, regardless of you know an official legal. <laughs> but like if people like if City were to win the league next year after spending two hundred even like up towards three hundred on players, people are just gonna be like, Well, that is literally checkbook and and like and I, I don't subscribe to this idea about Guardiola being a checkbook manager either. I definitely don't. But it's like that doesn't help either. Like if if that is the solution, as good as they are, they should still be better than what they've been for what they've got. I mean, I, I know how it works at City. I know how it works. It's because it's all about the system. And if the system works and you get 100 points and you get 98 points and you're one of the best teams ever, but if the system doesn't work, then those players who are performing way above themselves kind of perform way below themselves and you end up with this amazing team that gets results worse than you would expect. And that's kind of, that's another thing about Guardiola where it's like criticising Messi for not scoring enough goals with his right foot. Like, there's no point. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, he, what he does with his left and with his head and everything else, he's amazing. So it would be churlish really to have a go. But that's kind of the situation we're in with Guardiola where he's so good, there is no point in picking holes. But if you were, it would be like, well, the, these players you have got, you should still be able to get a bit more from them. But I mean, like like I say, I'm not really going to have a go because Sale of e, he's, he's done so much for City and for so many other clubs. But that is kind of, that is my issue now where it's like, I can't just be 
spend more than ever has been spent by any club to take this team of already good players to be amazing. Like that would have, like if they do get everyone they want, I'm not even sure they need a left. I'm not even sure they want, sorry, a left back now. It might even be the case where the second centre back they get can play there as well, which kind of suggests to me it might be Alaba. I don't really don't know if they want David Alaba or if he'll even come, but you'd think it would have to be somebody who could legitimately play left back and not just, you know, be a centre back stuck out there. Yeah. But they would effectively, the business model now is to have two Van Dykes. You know, if they're going to get Koulibaly, because they want somebody who's ready-made class to come in, as we've talked about, to play alongside Laporte. They're effectively having two Van Dykes. Like, even Liverpool don't have that. They get by with Van Dyke and whoever's playing next to him because he's good enough. And that's basically what City have got with, with Laporte because he can kind of make up for everything else with Laporte because he's that good. But they want somebody who's that good as well. Like If, if they're going to win the league again next season and spend that much, it, it will still be a coaching achievement because they will play amazing football. But it is almost like... That is even pushing the boundaries even for me because you know you know me like I don't I don't just I really don't think that money is a guarantee in football and it's still a skill to have incredibly co- like incredibly talented players and coach them to trophies because that's just that is literally how football works like you've seen the amount of managers go into clubs like Chelsea for example not every manager who's worked at Chelsea when they were spending loads of money has won the league like you still need to be a good manager to do it not everyone. At City, obviously they have if he's manager City have had, you know, Mancini on was has won the league, but they haven't had that consistency. They haven't instilled that type of football. So Guardiola is amazing. It would be an amazing achievement if they, you know, to get hundred points is not normal. That is a ridiculous achievement. And I don't buy whatsoever that it's all about money, because it just literally isn't. Like yeah. the way he coaches, nobody else can do. That is what coaching is. You go into a team and you convince the players you've got to play your football. Oh, and it just so happens that it's the best football we've ever seen in the Premier League and with Barcelona, probably the best football we've seen ever. But it would be kind of pushing the boundaries next season if they add Koulibaly and a number nine who costs 100 million. Um, And like Ferran Torres might be cheap. That's like, you couldn't really, you couldn't really throw that in. That would be good business. And like, if they get somebody who can play left back, and then who else would it be? Because it's five, I think. But anyway, maybe if you add all that on top of what they've already got, if that is kind of like pushing the boundaries of. Fuck it, I, I could win the league with that lot. I couldn't, but you could see where you could see where, the, where that line of thinking comes that. from. Like, yeah. it, it just can't be. That can't be the only solution. There needs to be more within the squad. You know, the players and the manager, as good as they are, need to be, and as good as they have even done. You know, because again, I've always said they've not finished 10th they've not completely imploded they're still there as Guardiola says in mo- in the majority of their games they're still there but that improvement it needs to come from within the squad as much as just banging in a load of world-class players on top and going well we'll be right now you know? I know that I know that's kind of a ramble but it's very I don't I don't want I don't want people to get me wrong to think I'm saying that that is just checkbook city or checkbook pep because you you anyone listening to this who's listened to me before will know that's not the case but like that is kind of like it there needs to be more to it than just that but is this where the improvement for players like Bernardo needs to come in? Because, like, like you mentioned before, he's he's fallen off the face of the earth with his form. Yeah, and like Guardiola loves him clearly. I don't, I don't know what the what's the matter with him. And I was thinking because he came back last season tired. Uh, obviously, the the Mendy tweet situation kind of hurt him and pissed him off in equal measure and in different ways. I asked about what was going on with him in December at the Arsenal game, and they're like, "Well, he's just so tired from last season. He kind of needs six weeks to to play through." Like it was almost like when Gundogan got injured in the first season, did his knee, and then he came back, and the city the city staff were like, "He needs twenty games, twenty top level games to get back into his rhythm, and then it'd be fine." It was almost like they were thinking the same way with Bernardo, but that 
it was kind of getting there by the time lockdown came about um, in terms of that amount of games. And then you'd think, well, he's had three months off. There'll, there'll be a mental break, a physical break, certainly. And he'll come back and he should be fine. But, I mean, he's probably contributed less than Jesus. And like people, like Guardiola was saying, even when Jesus wasn't scoring, he's contributed a lot. And I'm not even sure that was the case. I thought he was quite poor. Um, but at least you know, in some games, he has com- contributed goals now. I'm not sure what Bernardo Silva's done since since coming back. Um, and the fact he didn't get on at all when there's five subs and there's a game that needs changing. And, you know, we talked about Foden and Mares and their ability to pick through in the middle. You know, nobody's got better feet in the team than Bernardo. And he didn't even get on. You know, for, and like when Fernandinho goes up front, just think, I, 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 I know, I know I kind of try to have all the answers. I know I really appreciate when people come to me looking for answers. And I, but I, I don't, I don't have any idea at the moment. Anyway, I will try and find out what, what is, what is going on with him and not why. I mean, it might just be a little, you know, I've always said dips in form are normal. You know, even the best players in the world who aren't Messi and Ronaldo will have a dip in form. They will have a bad season. But it does seem very unusual, like the, the level it's got to now. I mean, maybe he'll just bounce back straight away and look really good. and He'll be good in the Champions League because I think he can be even better in the Champions League than he is in the Premier League. But it's, yeah. it, is, it, is, it is a really, really strange one. Well, let's let's finish with uh, we touched on transfers a bit there. So the, what's the updates with Koulibaly? Any any news on that front? Um, well, so I was told on Friday and then yesterday, and I was going to put out a tweet, but in, I mean, in the end, it was just the way the result went and the mood. And also, I'm hoping to get a bit more information next week. Is it does seem like there's there are it's at the stage where there is still uh, too many names. So with Koulibaly and Ferran Torres. I, th- I do think they have established that they're interested in them. Well, they have. They, you know, they've agreed terms or they're close to agreeing terms with Ferran Torres. It might not still be there, but that's the di- direction it's going in. So, they, so those are the priorities. But obviously, at the end of last week, you would have seen um, Jimenez at Atletico Madrid get linked and Diego Carlos at Sevilla. So, and I don't know about Diego Carlos, but I have, I had I, heard a few whispers before about Jimenez, which I thought, how does that work with Goulibaly? But I have been told over the weekend that they have inquired about him, but Atletico want 120 million euros, which is his buyout clause, and that City just aren't going to pay that. Um, so I was thinking there's there's so many names about, but I do still think it's Koulibaly. Um I saw there was a report on Sunday evening. Um, there was a, there was apparently a meeting today, and City have made an offer. I mean, the the, off, the amount I heard would do it. I think I probably said this before was 80 million euros. That's what Napoli will sell him for, apparently. According to this latest report in Italy, they've offered like sixty or something. Um, but the other, the other, the other thing before we move on is it, hand in hand with this three hundred million thing. Would, that might be that's probably like an upper, upper limit. But the underlying message and the kind of thing I probably said on the podcast before, and I've said in the piece after the Liverpool game was they don't want they don't want Harry Maguire to happen again. Effectively, yeah, they don't want that to happen again. So all this, all this talk of bidding sixty million for Koulibaly. Maybe they're testing the waters, but if they need to pay it, I'm, I'm sure they will. They'll, they'll they'll make sure they get the the, the signing over the line. Um, yeah. the, the the other name that you mentioned before was David Alaba. Uh, what, well, what's yeah, the, what's the, the likelihood of that? One. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I because I, mean, I mean David Ornstein has, has said a couple of times that he's he's one in in the frame. But like I say, going back to my original point, there's still there's still too many. I've discovered there are still too many names in the frame at the moment. Um, I think they're they're kind of like four per position or maybe in the last week they've got they have got it down because like I say Koulibaly I do think it's a priority for that one 
but there's there's still too many names floating about. And that Diego Carlos one last week um, from Mike McGraw and James Ducker in the Telegraph and from Duncan Castle. So, I mean, that sounds, it certainly sounds legit in terms of sources. So, you know, it's like, I, I'm kind of wary of getting too involved at the minute because there's obviously still enough names floating around. Alaba, and again, look, I've not heard anything about a left-back recently to the extent that I'm now thinking there might not be one. So that's why I mentioned Alaba was David Ornstein's mentioned it a lot and he's obviously very clued in. And if they're getting another centre-back that can maybe play left-back, like I've always said, it'd be a, a more versatile profile. To be fair, I also said younger. Alaba's not... He probably is a bit younger than Koulibaly. But anyway, I'm thinking now, if they're going to get a centre-back and a left-back in, in one, it's going to have to be someone who can actually play left-back rather than just, you know, fill in and not get forward. You know, like when Laporte was playing left-back left back a couple of years ago, like it was fine defensively, but he wasn't getting forward an awful lot. Um, I know he did in the game at Everton in March, I think, 2018. Um but yeah, anyway, um, the left-back situation is weird. David Alaba, it's kind of one of those, like in terms of the profile, it makes sense. But other than that, that's just kind of putting two and two together. Um, and then, so yeah, I mentioned the kind of false nine scenario. So the forward is either, so apart from Ferran Torres, because it sounds like you know they're, they're working on a deal with the agent and presumably with Valencia. Um, another one would be a number nine. But I, I presumed it would be kind of more of a, a powerhouse because they were looking at um, Jovic last year, but it seems like it's going to be more of a um, yeah, like attacking midfielder, false nine kind of thing. And that made me think there's not many of those, but Havertz makes sense. Um, but I, I mean, I don't know about that. Um, apparently they've had another look at João Felix. Uh, I'm not like a million percent confident that's going to turn out because obviously we've been here before with Shell Felix and yeah. City, City were well on were well on top of it when he was at Benfica and in the end Atletico paid an awful lot of money. Um, but at Simeone, he's not convinced really and they need to, from what I've heard, Atletico Madrid need to sell a player or some players for 100 million euros. So that's why City have had a look to see what they can do. But I think Jimenez will be too expensive, I think. Um Felix, I mean, maybe if they could get Felix, I'm not sure what his buyout clause is. He's probably like 300. But, I mean, maybe that's something they do. But it does seem like the most important thing, don't get carried away with Felix just yet, but the most important thing is, for me, the profile of the number nine they want. Um, that That's an interesting thing, really. And uh, last, last question, because there has been one or two rumours about this in the last week or so. Uh, could David Silva be around for another year? No, I don't think so. Like, that suggestion's come around because... He's been playing really well, but like it's always been Silver's um, like inclination to leave after ten years. I remember doing a contract story when he was getting in that new contract. I remember being in Napoli in twenty seventeen and doing a contract story that it would take him up to ten years and he would leave then because he wants to do a decade, the symbolism of a decade, and then leave. And you would find you think fine over three years that can change, but he said himself coming back into lockdown, he's made his mind up, he's going to go. Uh, Guardiola was asked about it after the game in midweek because obviously it was really good again and he said it wasn't even like oh yeah we tried but it was just no like he's made his mind up he's going to go so okay. like unless something significantly changes I, I don't think that's on the cards right well that's it for this week's Why Always Us you've been listening to Sam Lee uh, yeah, covered a lot there. <laughs> and to me, to me, David Mooney as well. Uh, don't forget you can sign up to The Athletic with a 30-day free trial right now by using the code MANCITYPOD. Mm-hmm.